I'm Sharon Feeler, and with me is Beth Chesterton. We're glad to have you join us today for a new Possibility Podcast, offering guidance and advice on the possibility of someday becoming a CEO. Joining us today is Kathy Mazzarella, Chairman, President, and CEO of Graybar. Welcome, Kathy, and thank you for being here with us today. Well, thanks for the opportunity to visit with you. Sure. So why don't we get started with a little bit about Graybar. Tell us, tell us about Graybar so you can at least introduce kind of the, the work you do and the, all of the uh, information that, uh, that's important about your company. Graybar is an amazing organization. This year we've turned 150 years old. Oh, wow. We were founded in 1869, and we're also celebrating 90 years of employee ownership. So we're 100% owned by active or retired employees. We are a Fortune 500 company. We're one of the biggest companies nobody's ever heard of. I tell people that all the time. <laughs> We're in wholesale distribution, so we sell electrical communications, networking, utility products, and services to a variety of different customers in all segments of the business, uh, whether it's commercial entities, financial institutions, construction companies, government, so on and so forth. So we have well over 100,000 customers. Wow. I've been at Graybar now just over 39 years. And like 39. Most, isn't that amazing? Right. Like most people at Graybar, I started in an entry-level job, at least in senior leadership. The folks in senior leadership typically start in an entry-level job and work ourselves up through the ranks. And so... Um, so how long have you been chairman, CEO, and president? I've been president since 2012, June 2012. Okay. And then I became chair in 2013. So... Uh, Coming up on my seventh year, which is interesting in itself. Wow. Very. Well, congratulations. Thanks. You are a role model. You are exactly what uh, the ABC to CEO program is about to accomplish. More women in these kind of roles. So tell me a little bit about experiences you had in your pre-CEO parts of your career that you think helped prepare you to be a great CEO today. It's one of the first times I've ever been asked that question, which is actually, I think, a great question. Too often they focus on what happens once you get into a role, right, into your careers. Uh, I was raised in a very traditional family. My dad was the breadwinner. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. Five kids. You were one of five. I'm one of five. I'm the oldest girl. There's four girls. Mm -hmm. So my brother is 11 months older than I am, and then I've got three younger sisters. My dad was a self-made man. He grew up in a very difficult and challenging situation with a single mom and was homeless at times, put himself through uh, undergrad and graduate school. Started working at the age of 12, by the way, my dad, just so that he could pay to go to high school. So my dad was very much into hard work. He was very much into making sure that his kids had a solid education. But more importantly, he was a banker. And he saw a lot of women who either were widowed or who had gone through a divorce that were devastated when their husbands left. Financially. Absolutely. And they had no skills at that point. He raised the girls that we would never have to be dependent on a man, that we should all have a career. And if you happen to meet somebody in your life, that's great. But other than that, you need to be able to support yourself. So that was the premise of how we were raised. Also very competitive. My dad used to force rank us on grades. We used to be sit there and we'd get paid a penny if you got a B and like five cents. I know that sounds really cheap today, but back then it was <laughs> a lot then, of money. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'd have five cents, we had an A, and if we had a C, we were grounded. And then he would put our report cards on the refrigerator and who had the best grade point average. So that was my dad. Wow. Uh, it was always also about striving to be number one, never striving to be number two. 
my dad said, and he still says to this day, there is no failure in shooting for the top position and not winning, but there's a lot of failure if you don't reach for the top. I love that. You're settling. Yes. It obviously made an impact on you. Absolutely. In high school, prior to high school, I was a pretty withdrawn kid. I was pretty quiet, you know, kind of just average all around. My grades were okay. They were good. I wasn't socially active. I was just quiet. In high school, I decided that I was going to try to start new. I went to a high school where I knew nobody. So you had the opportunity to have a clean piece of paper. Absolutely. My mother was also very big on sending us to an all-girls school. She wanted to get rid of that, uh, you know, a boy influence where you wouldn't be smart, you know, because you were afraid the boys wouldn't like you if you were smart, all those type of things that people deal with, I think, Mm -hmm. still today. Mm -hmm. So I started an all-girls school. The first year I ran for office, I lost, but I did make cheerleader, which was a big deal at the time. I started getting involved in a variety of clubs. Some, you know, I became like the president of the club. Some, I was just a member of the club. I decided to focus on my grades more, Mm -hmm. that I wanted to graduate in the top part of the class. And then throughout my high school years, I pretty much ran for everything, whatever it was. Right. Tried out for the school play. Absolutely. I failed more times than I won. But I did win certain things. Sure. And I was, you know, in various courts, which at the time was a big deal. So part of that was, even though you failed, you, you learned how... Let's move forward, and the next time I'll win. Absolutely. So failure actually maybe was important even as a teenager because it it allows you to take risk as you get older and not be afraid of failure. The other thing with failure, which I learned, was that it's how you handle the failure that determines your character. Mm. People judge you a lot by how you deal with your failures. That's another lesson my dad taught me that I actually used while I was working. Well, tell when I didn't us about that. How do you deal with failure in a way that people see it as a good response to failure? There was a position when I was uh, at Graybar where it was a vice president's job. I was just uh, a senior vice president's job, and I was a vice president at the time. I was the first woman vice president in the company, wow. my first role. But this one was a big job. It was a senior job. It was a board position. It was huge. It was myself and another gentleman. I worked my tail off for that job. I was working all the time, and I always have. I've been an obsessive-compulsive worker, which is not necessarily good. You know, I was in on weekends. My male counterparts never worked weekends. I was always doing something more. Had won all these awards internally with the company. Had taken every stretch assignment. So when this came up, I was told I didn't get the job, and I was going to report to this gentleman who was my peer. He got the job. Absolutely, and he started a year after I did. He actually took over my customer service rep job, so we knew each other almost our entire careers. We had always been competing. I was stunned. I kept thinking, there is no way I shouldn't have had this job. No way. Mm -hmm. I was devastated. And I thought, I need to quit. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. This is just, I don't know how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. I called my dad. And my dad said, fuck it up. I go, what do you mean? He goes, stop it. He said, this is the, immor- the most important part of your career right now. The most pivotal thing that you can do is right now. Wow. Everybody's going to watch how you handle this disappointment. You need to rise above this. 
I said, okay. Hung up the phone, literally called the person that got the job and said, congratulations, I will do whatever I need to do to support you. Let me know how ca I can help you succeed. Wow, what a, what a great lesson. Now, fast forward to when I was in the president running row, you know, the whole game that goes on when you're in the running for its CEO. One of the board members told me, he's retired now, he said, he watched how I handled that. That's when he decided that I had the strength and the character to assume this role. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that interesting? Yes. But what that, and that is true. You did. I mean, it takes a lot to be able to you know, swallow hard and move forward and... It was hard. It was, pro that was probably one of the most difficult ones that I faced. But your dad was right. Absolutely. Going back to high school, though, this is the other thing that I would say is a really good lesson for people, whether it's women, men, whatever. In high school, I had lost every single office. My junior year, I decided I was going to run for student body president. There were four girls that won every year. In freshman year, sophomore, and junior, mm -hmm. they ran together as a group for the student body offices. I decided to listen to my dad, and again, I'd never won, but I said, I'm going to run for president against the most popular girl. <laughs> what I decided at the time is I needed to look at the game and look at the chess pieces. I knew I was going to lose my class. I knew it because I had lost it every single time prior. I had two sisters in the freshman and sophomore class. I figured I need to win the freshman sophomore class and I'll just throw the junior class because I'm going to lose it anyways. How interesting. Well, I ran for office. My mother-in-law, my future mother-in-law was one of the teachers at school. She taught me marriage and relationship. Just, it's a very strange <laughs> thing. I did get an A. I remind my husband of that on a regular basis. And she was probably quite pleased that you ended up marrying him. Exactly. Then. but. I remember she was one of them counting the votes. They announced the winners, right, or the people that won the election, and I hear my name. I remember sitting there, like stunned. I actually won. I mm. actually won. I come out of the classroom, she comes running down the hallway, she grabs me and hugs me, and she says, you won by three votes. Wow. She goes, but you won. It was a lesson to me that no matter what the obstacle was ahead of you or how much somebody had a perceived strength on you, how popular they were, how perfect they were for a role, you've got to play your own game. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, this is a game, mm -hmm. right? But you can play the game without selling out your core values and your soul. Right. You don't need to become somebody you're not. Yeah, be comfortable in your own skin. Absolutely. Yeah. But don't count yourself out before you even try. Right. Right. So, yeah, so you won uh, by three votes. And I, al I also think there's a message in the three votes. Yeah. Every person made a difference. Absolutely. Because you couldn't rule out any one individual. Every person had to understand what you had to offer. Which means it's a lot more work. You oh. have to talk to the individuals. Exactly. To your point, that's a really good lesson from a leadership role Right. also. One of the fortunate things I have, and one of the reasons I'm very blessed to work for this organization, is that my core values as a person are very similar to our organization's core values. We do anchor on employee ownership. 
and the power of the individual, if we can develop the potential of individuals, that collective power will make us unstoppable in the marketplace. Wow. And you're only limited by what you impose on yourself. One of the challenges, I think, in all people at any age is that we let other people dictate to us our worth or what we can accomplish. It makes other people comfortable. When I was a younger employee, I would sit in the lunchroom with a lot of the other people and hang out with them. And they would get into conversations. Sometimes they would be negative about the company or complain about the leadership or whatever. One of my bosses at the time pulled me in his office and said, do you want to advance in the company? I was a very, very young employee. I said, yeah. He said, you have to make a very important choice right now. You can be one of the popular kids and be part of the group, or you can step out and forge your own path and have respect. It's very difficult to do both. Right. It is. At that point, I chose I wanted the career. Right. So I started separating myself some of, from some of the negativity, mm -hmm. started separating myself from being one of the group, decided to go into situations, and if I was ever pulled into that saying no, let's look at it from their perspective, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I decided at the time that there were very few people in my life that you can have as true friends. You need to find out the people that can truly be your support system, right? Truly, mm -hmm. and there should only, there probably really only will be a few, and you know this from your own right. experience. Oh, yes, that's true. The people that you can trust with Deeply anything. trust. Absolutely, that they're not gonna turn on you. They believe in who you are. They love you for who you are. They understand that you've got weaknesses, you've got strengths, but you know they've got your back. Mm -hmm. In work, I've seen that throughout my entire career, and you know that too, Sharon, is that there are people who are there to support you, and there are people there that want to tear you down. They want to tear you down because it makes them feel better. You see a lot of that in high school. Oh, yeah. I think the lessons that you learn in high school, you live with forever. Yeah, and tell me a little bit more, because I've heard pros and cons of women going to all-girls schools. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was good for you? Oh, it toughened you up like there right. was no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about, and, and you hear this in society a lot, about women, we need to support each other. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think we all as human beings need to support each other. It's not a, a girl thing, it's a person thing. Mm -hmm. I also think women have a tendency to be really, really tough on other women. I don't care what position you're in, women are tough on other women. Being in a high school that w was all women was challenging at best. I went to my high school reunion for the first time, 40th high school reunion. I had not been back. Mm -hmm. Now, I graduated student body president, and I was on the you know, Christmas formal court. I was dating a football player. I was a cheerleader at the boys' school. I did all that stuff. I was number three in my class. So I was okay when I left. Right. But I had never been back. I really didn't have any friends from high school that I kept in touch with because when I left Southern California, I left my high school, I went to upstate New York for school, I never looked back. This was a very – I asked my mother-in-law to come with me because I was scared to go to my own high school reunion. At 40 years. Yeah. I wasn't sure. <laughs> and here you are running a company. And uh... Well, I, I kept hearkening back to I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't popular enough. I didn't have friends. You know, I don't know what to talk to them about. But she went. I went. 
uh, my mother-in-law came with me. I called her and said, hey, Trudy, would you come with me? Oh, so she was the teacher. She was the teacher. That's why oh, I brought her, because everybody knew right. her. Okay. Plus, she's just really good. I mean, yeah, everybody yeah. loves her. And I was nervous. I, I mean, I'll have to admit, mm-hmm. which was kind of weird. My husband says, why are you going if you're so uncomfortable? I said, because I have to. I want to see how everybody turned out. Mm-hmm. I need to finally stand up and say, I turned out okay. Right. Right? Isn't that interesting? After all these years, yeah. you still had those thoughts. Totally. But yet, the going to the girls' school probably gave you lots of stamina. Yep. Yep. Persistence, uh, perseverance, ability to stand up when you know that people don't like you. And, and also, you read a lot about you know girls sometimes not having as much confidence when the boys are around. Right. And this, you can put that aside. Absolutely. You can can be who you are. Absolutely. You still have to put up with the other people, but that's life. That's exactly right. Yeah. I find today, and I see this a lot with younger women, more than those of us that are a little bit older, Mm -hmm. or some of us like me that are a lot older. (laughs) Um, I say this to my daughters, and they're both millennials right now. Stop taking things so personal. Everything is an affront. If somebody doesn't talk to you the right way, if somebody doesn't, you know, treat you the right way, get over it. That is one of the things that I learned very early on in my life and in my career. Just because somebody else is acting a certain way, don't give them the power over you. If you let it affect you, if you let it make you feel bad, if you let it make you get intimidated, they have power over you. Then they, they won. They choose. Yeah, you choose to whether you give them that power. Let it go. So tell us a little bit more. You've got two girls yep. um, in their late 20s, early 30s, I guess, around now, something mm-hmm. like that. What do you think you did when you raised them to make them who they are today? And do you think either of the, either of your daughters are interested in being a CEO? Several things when you raise your children. In our case, we grew up with the children. Right? We had our children in our 20s. Today, people are waiting a lot longer, it seems, on average, to have children. Mm-hmm. Um, we really didn't have a major focus to raise them one way or another because a lot of the time we were just trying to exist, my husband and I. We were both were working, going to school full-time, and raising the children. I was traveling also. So it was, it was tiring and exhausting. My husband took a very strong role in raising the girls. I started traveling at a very early age, and when I wasn't traveling, I was going to school at night to finish my degree. Because mm. when I started at Graybar, I had dropped out of college. Okay. So I started at the age of 19, walking away from a full math and science scholarship. Unbelievable. So I went back to school at night to make sure that I finished my degree. While he was in graduate school, so I was supporting him, I was the sole income, and then we had two children during this period of time. He never missed anything for those girls. He was always there for the parents' teachers' conference, made sure they had their lunches if they forgot their lunches. He was there at every sport activity and stuff. I was not. I was either traveling, working, studying, or something. I very, very very rarely made a school function. Back at the day, that was very unusual. Women still took the role primarily at the school. Mm -hmm. The husbands typically, or the men typically, were the ones that weren't seen a lot. There were times when my daughters were asked questions like, do you have a mommy? Oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
it was interesting because my daughters saw that you can work and succeed and still be a good person. You know, you go through the things where they missed me. You know, we, we, we talk about it sometimes, the fact that I wasn't around. But neither one of my girls have any view of limitations on their ability to do anything in their life. Because right? they saw you do it. Absolutely. They were raised that you can accomplish anything. They weren't raised that you're a girl, so you can't do certain things. Mm-hmm. My husband was raised by a very strong mother. He lost his father when he was 16 years old, so his mother raised five boys on her own. On a teacher's salary, she also went back to school to get her graduate degrees while raising these five boys. Amazing. So for him, he was raised with a very, very strong mother. So he raised his, and he married a very strong woman. He raised his daughters to be very strong women. Mm-hmm. When you talk to my girls, you know they have their insecurities and their doubts and their questions, but it has nothing to do with being a female. It has nothing to do with the fact that they can't accomplish stuff. It's more how daunting it may be at times. I try to encourage them not to look at what's ahead of you and how difficult and long and challenging it may be. Just take one step forward every single day. Every once in a while, look back at what you've accomplished and how far you've come. Mm-hmm. My daughters um, also were raised by a highly competitive mother where we used to put our report cards on the refrigerator. You did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and my report card was up there with theirs because oh. I was going to school. Mm-hmm. I went and got my bachelor's and my associate's bachelor's and, under, and my master's degree. I was the lowest grade point average out of the three of us. <laughs> so my you two- got the fewest uh, nickels and dimes then, I Absolutely. Guess. <laughs> Absolutely. So they knew, you know, if I made them have it up there, mine was up there also. And they would talk about it and laugh, and they would tease me that my grades were lower than theirs. <laughs> uh, so my kids were just raised in an environment of possibilities, not of what you can't do. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Also that you need to dream big. People tend to set their dreams too near term. They're always looking at what they need to do in the next year, maybe two years. My dad said... And I told my kids this, and I still tell people this all the time. You need to set your dreams, set unrealistic expectations in a realistic time frame. Hmm. Mm. I like that. Too often people set these dreams. If they don't hit it in the next year or two, they get frustrated. They don't have my job after five years. They throw up their hands and say, it's never going to happen. No. If you look at most CEOs, we've been working decades, decades. Of course. Yeah. And so you did can't you, just replace that overnight. Right. Did you actually think about becoming CEO someday? Yeah, when I was hired. Oh, you did? I told them that the day I was hired or the day they interviewed me. How <laughs> impressive. A lot of times you don't hear that. Again, I'm going back to my dad. <laughs> he said, never settle for number two. So when I was interviewed, I had dropped out of college. I had a full math and science, Boshalom Science and Math Scholarship to the University of Rochester. Mm. Now, I grew up in Southern California in Orange County, and I moved to upstate New York. Wow, quite that a change. That was quite the change. Yes. I dropped out after a year. I didn't decide I didn't want to be a doctor. My grades were fine. I was on the dean's list and things, but I just hated it. I told my parents I was dropping out and moving home. That was a very, very difficult decision. So when I moved back in with my parents, they had moved to the San Francisco area. I didn't know anything about that area. My mom and I, after three days, decided it was best I get out and get a job. That was a mutual decision. I went to an employment agency who sent me on an interview, got lost, 
went in to ask for directions. The woman at the front desk said, are you looking for a job? I said, yes. She said, we're hiring. You want to take the test? I said, sure. So I took the test and three days later started at Graybar. Wow. So you happened to go there for directions. Yeah. The gentleman who interviewed me asked me, you know, they always say, so what do you want to do? Here is a 19-year-old kid, college dropout. I said, I want to run this company someday. I want to be president. Now, I didn't know what was all involved. And he said, okay, no, really. I go, no, I want to be president. (laughs) Amazing. But you got this because of your dad. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Quite impressive. So you've worked with a lot of women, obviously, in your career. Do you see pitfalls sometimes that women fall into that you can kind of give us a little bit of thoughts on so that women are aware of these pitfalls? I still struggle with some of them myself, I'll have to admit. For example, the whole idea of not feeling worthy enough to participate in activities, whether it's a networking environment, whether it's walking into a room full of people where you may be outnumbered, Mm -hmm. you know, there's more men in the room than you are, to scale up into a new role. Sometimes you question about whether or not you have all the skills, should you take the job, am I qualified? I get to, I belong to a lot of really awesome organizations. I have an amazing job. I have an amazing opportunity to experience uh, all sorts of new learning opportunities as well as meeting people of all backgrounds. I still get intimidated and struggle with that. So why do you think that is? That's a really good question. I would ask you that question, too, since you were an executive female. Um, I don't really know. I think some of it has to do with role models. I think, you know, most of the CEOs have been males, so another man being with other men feels normal. When you walk in as one of the few, you do feel different. Yeah, and I think as more women become CEO, uh, other women will get more comfortable with that idea. I search out people when I go into a room that are by themselves or or appear to be more isolated on purpose. One, it makes me feel more comfortable. But two, I think it's important for us as leaders to make sure that we include everybody. That's right. That's so true. Too often. That's great advice. Well, too often you go into a room and you go to the people you know. Right. And and in networking activities, they form these little cliques. And to kind of force your way in, Mm -hmm. that's also uncomfortable for women. I see women struggling a lot more with trying to force themselves into these little groups. But you have to, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that takes a lot of confidence. You've also got to be willing that some people don't want you and be able to deal with rejection. I think that's a big thing with careers, too, is you will get rejected probably more than you get welcomed. And you have to deal with it. Absolutely. It's a matter of dusting yourself and often saying, okay, it's not about me. This isn't a personal thing. Right. Too often we take this stuff too personal. We really do. I also find that more with women than men. Now, mm-hmm. some men, I, th- that's a gross generalization, mm-hmm. but I do find women take things a lot more personal than men. I, I would totally agree. I saw yeah. it all the time. And yeah. I think I did too. Me and too. It's, it's something you have to kind of get over. Well, you have to, when you, when you start feeling yourself get that way, yeah. you literally have to sit back, take a breath, and say, stop it. You have to have that internal voice mm-hmm. saying, stop it. Mm-hmm. We also have to get out of our own heads. Too often, we sit there and we have these internal dialogues that are much more negative than positive. 
you're always sitting there in your head saying, okay, I don't know anybody. What does that mean? Right. Or you build up this, this fear in your brain of whatever the situation you're going into. We have to get out of our own internal dialogue and get outside ourselves to talk to other people. The more times you focus on yourself, the less opportunity you have to be a leader. I find if you reach out to other people and focus on them, what's important to them and, on, and to that individual as a human being, the more confidence it gives me as a leader that I can do my job. Right. Because it's not about me. Right. As a leader, it's not about you ever. Yeah, I, I used to tell people all, all the time, look behind you, who's following? Mm. And you're exactly right. I yep. mean, if you, if you put your attention to the other people and they know they, that you care about them or interested in them, they come to trust you and they follow. The best thing as a leader, and you know this, Sharon, is when you see people that you work with succeed. It's almost like your children. You're like, oh, okay, right. oh, look at how great they're turning out. Or you recognize, somebody recognizes their dream, whether it's a professional dream or a personal dream. Uh, I think as I've gotten older, I've also realized that my whole purpose is to help people improve their life, even if it's just one person. I can't expect to be thanked for that also. If I'm waiting around for people to thank me or get a lot of accolades, that is the wrong reason to do something. When I raised my girls, it was very important for them to understand that no matter what you do in life, the most important thing was to be a good person and to help other human beings. The advantage to being a leader is that you can make a broader impact to more people. And you don't have to show that, you can, that success comes at the expense of your humanity, right? Mm -hmm. My children, when they were really young, got involved in philanthropic on their own. My, my youngest daughter, matter of fact, one time I, we got called to school. She was like in kindergarten. And, and we thought, what happened? And, and the principal says, well, you know, we wanted to tell you your daughter today, you know, some of the parents were kind of concerned. And I go, well, what happened? Well, she decided a friend of hers was struggling, was sick. So she wanted to raise money to help this little girl. She was kindergarten. So she was selling sticks. So when people were coming, dropping off their kids, she was going to parents to see <laughs> if she could sell a stick to get money to give to this little girl who her family was struggling because they had a challenge. Amazing. That Amazing. kind of right. philanthropic has gone through their entire lives. They're involved in all sorts of activities to bring, give back to their community to, to help their friends. Right. Right? Yeah. Even today, it's important for them to see you demonstrate that. One of the big things with me is I think it's important that people don't know who you are in many cases to give back. So, you know, uh, my children still donate a lot of money. They also see that the best sign of a leader is how you treat normal people every single day. I love that. Right? Yeah. So on weekends, I am a bum. I dress like a bum. My husband laughs at me all the time. I am normal. I like to do normal things. I will go somewhere, and if I see somebody struggling, we will help them. My husband and I will help them, whether it's helping them with groceries, bringing it to their car, you know, whether it's buying somebody their groceries because they're struggling, whatever it may be. We just want to do this because we have the means and the ability to help. We don't want the recognition. We don't want people to know. My kids have seen us that way as through growing up. Even when we didn't have much money, we did that. 
it's interesting because that has significantly impacted my youngest daughter more than anything. She talks about it openly. She writes about it openly without me even knowing. She says it's really the true sign of your character is how you treat the people that yes. really can't help you in your life. Well, I love that. Right? That is great. Yeah. Well, you've got great stories. Beth, we're, we need to wind up here. We're out of time almost. Beth, do you have something? What I'm thinking, um, obviously, you're an amazing storyteller. Your ability to paint the picture of what you're talking about and have the listener on the edge of her seat or his or her seat is amazing. I also, you're a visionary, clearly. I mean, very few 19-year-olds would walk in and have such a vision for the future. And you have great words about that. How does your ability to paint a picture for the vision of the company help you in your role? That's huge. That's a great question. Especially in a time where there is not a clear path. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies today are dealing to, with disruption. That's the most popular term now in business, right? It, we're all being disrupted. Well, that's great. When you look back at our organization, because we've been around for so long, and I've been around this organization for so long, the disruption we're facing, we faced before. We're just using different terms. The speed of change is quicker. The social media has impacted it, so people are getting inundated all the time with all these things that may scare them. As a leader, what you need to do is build an, an ability for them to trust you, to go into this future, which isn't as clear as it used to be, and to join you into this unknown. Instead of painting a clear picture, right, a clear picture where everything's well-defined. What I try to do is to create an environment and a picture of possibilities, is to create an environment where you can dream that nothing is beyond our own control, that our success will be determined by our own ability to dream and to perceive that we are better and we have unlimited potential. So for me today, it's about painting the fact that to trust me going forward into this unknown, that I have a good handle on what I can see in the near term, but there's stuff that I can't see, but that together we're invincible, that we are able to face any single challenge and to take advantage of any opportunity no matter what it was. We've seen it in the past. We're building upon this legacy of ability to do this as an organization, and if we bind together, we are stronger than anything that we will face. That, to me, is the most important picture to pay to basically paint today with all the unknowns. Mm -hmm. People are afraid. Mm -hmm. People don't understand what's going on. They have to have confidence that you are also one of them. I'm not out there ahead of them. I am with them, Mm -hmm. linking my arms with them. I had a person when I became president make a statement to me. He said, you know, previous presidents had their thing, what they were known for. You know, they were the technology person. They were the financial person. They were the marketing person, whatever. This person said, you are going to be known as the president of the people because you are one of us. Wow, what a compliment. To me, if I can paint the vision that we can be even greater than we are today, that we will be able to be successful without selling out what we stand for, and have people come with me, they trust me, then I win this game, and I've done my role as a leader. Well, it gives me chills. It makes me want to follow you. I'm sure your employees. (laughs) I don't know about that. So (laughs) we're we're almost out of time, but is there something we didn't discuss that you'd like to add before we finish up here? No, other than I want to hear your own podcast, Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't done that one yet, but we've talked about it. Good. I think you should. I think you should. Kathy, this was wonderful. You have given so many people who are going to listen to this 
things to think about, and this is all about possibilities. We call this the Possibility Podcast because we want young women to think about what, what might be in your future. And think about our own, Sharon. Right. We're, we're a little bit in a different part of our lives, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But we still have endless possibilities. So I don't think it's something that you ever end. No. I think as human beings, you're just starting a new phase of your life. I, I'm I am, I am to not next, retired. I am just post-career. And your post-career is another career. That's right. Right? So I think for all of us, it, it's this idea of possibility should never end, and we should always seize on it no matter where we are in our life. So right. I'm with you on this one. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you ladies. Thank you so much.